Welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective, to be precise, where every week we chronologically review pop-punk in glorious um, Kingdom Hearts vision. And today we... Well, first of all, I'm Elaine, as always, and with me there are two other human beings that I dragged into this hellish landscape of the year 2000. I'm Fletcher. And I'm Adam. And together we are gonna get out of this town. Pop Punk 2000. We're talking about Newfound Glory today. By Newfound Glory. And we are all definitely human. After all. No, that's for our gotta... Gotta beep these boops. Gotta make 70s inspired music uh, Daft Punk retrospective. If we wanted to do a Tello Disco specials, I'd be down. First of all, I always ask every single one of you... Do you have any prior experience with Newfound Glory? I've heard one song on this album, and apparently I heard a second track that's on the special edition release, but that's a story for later. Never heard of them. Really? Really. I never listened to a full record by Newfound Glory, pretty much knew all of their singles, and I knew them especially because they are the people who came up with the term Easycore, which will be a whole genre ten years from now. But we're still not quite there yet. I love Easycore. Chunk, Captain Chunk will be one of the highlights when we get to the year 2013. But yeah, we're still quite far away from that. But you can still hear the beginnings of it in this record, like the really hard drumming over the very poppy, upbeat singing. But usually we go into the history of the band from here. But before we do that there is some there is some shit that we need to talk about here is the obligatory because people are garbage obligatory people are scum i suppose as the one who's always chipper it's up to me to put a good spin on the segment we call the obligatory directly after the purview of our show ends in 2014 Stephen Klein, guitar player of Newfound Glory, was tried for felony charges, including lewd acts with a minor and possession of child pornography. On the record, we know he had video chats with people he claims he did not know were minors, which at the time of the trial were not identified due to their age. Uh, not because of age, they just were not identified. This was a case that apparently came out during the first filing. Oh, it wasn't the people themselves who were in the video who, like, uh, charged him. Gotcha. A expert witness on sexual maturity said that she estimated the ages of the individuals between 9 and 16 based on development in evidence. He was tried. We could not dig up any evidence about the results of the trial. He is currently active on Twitter and things, so likely not locked up. Uh, but, for what it's worth, the band immediately washed their hands of him as soon as this came out, 
and it doesn't seem like they had any real stakes in this, given that everything mentioned from the evidence that we dug up is that this was all digital activity. So it's not like someone was, you know, turning a blind eye. Yeah. It sucks. Fuck the guy. But also, like, you know, the band seems to have reacted as good as you can react when you find out this shit. Which is, like, boot the guy, not have any relation with him afterwards, and, you know, deal with the shit. It still sucks. That guy seems like a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. These things are worth to note, even if they're not covered in our history of the stuff, because when you hear shit like this, it's like, your choice or not, if you think that listening or supporting this band is worth or not, and blah blah blah, and blah blah blah, but, you know, it's good mentioning it, it sucks, but also let's talk about lighter things, let's talk about music, right? Yup. Glory. They are another band that, by the year 2000, has a very short history. They've pretty much been around only for three-ish years, and Newfound Glory by Newfound Glory is just their second record, number two. Somehow the self-titled was not the first, which still trips me up every time it happens. Or you can be like Wither, where you do like 400 self-titles and you get increasingly silly denominator, like the Teal album. I mean... Peter Gabriel did four untitled albums to start his solo stuff off that had to be named based on the photo on them. The five founding members of Newfound Glory are Jordan Pundek on voice, Steve Klein on rhythm guitar, Ian Grushka on bass, Chad Gilbert on the lead guitar, and Cyrus Boluki on drums. Through the years, basically the only formation change they will have is Steve Klein being booted out, as we mentioned. They all meet around 1997, some of them are still in high school, some of them are just finished high school, and I'm not gonna list all of the bands that they have played before and stuff, because there are a lot. They were very active in like sort of like the music scene of the time of um, Coral Springs, Florida, apparently, which they come from. So, as always, I'm gonna ask the Americans to give me some trivia about Coral Spring, Florida. What kind of place it is? Now, the interesting thing is, Coral Springs does not actually list Newfound Glory as notable people from their corner of the woods, to the point that one of the people who is listed and not them is Robert Levinson, the longest held hostage in U.S. history. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> If you happen to know professional wrestler Adam Cole, a.k.a. Austin Jenkins, he is also a Coral Springs native. And they have a lovely center for the arts that was originally going to be a gymnasium when a renovation due to a grant added a one and a half thousand seat theater. They do regular Broadway series uh, down the coast. That's pretty rare. And there is currently a single 
public library in the city of Coral Springs. That's the size you're dealing with. Do do places normally have more than one public library? <laughs> I have lived in major cities my whole life, so I'm used to there will be one in each county, and then, like, I, I can walk to three different libraries right now. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I'm used to, like, all right, your town has a library, the next town over might have one, but they're different towns. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to depend on the size of the region you're in. I live in a very dense one. That's fair. More people means you need more libraries. I understand these things. <laughs> yeah, that's how SimCity teaches you. Uh, Will, Will Wright just pops up in cartoon form and goes, You know, more people equals more structures. Build something. Fucko. I'm just imagining Adam having like a whiteboard somewhere, like in those like police procedural and writing down more people equal more libraries on it right now. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Puts on sunglasses. <laughs> I have a whiteboard here that I could be writing this down on. I have sunglasses I could put on dramatically. I I I have a, a corpse somewhere, probably. <laughs> All right, we've got a whole procedural here. <laughs> hey, Ellie, quick question. Yeah. What corpse? I don't actually have a corpse with me. I was playing it up for comedy sake, and I couldn't come up with anything better. Ah, Comedy Corpse is my favorite nerdcore band. Eventually, after forming, they would put out their first EP, It's All About the Girls, through Fiddler Records, an extremely important 90s label that we will cover when they come up the next time, because there was uh, a bit of a rush on the things as we had to suddenly start looking at somebody's police records. <laughs> Turns out the research got derailed. Also to note that the name Newfound Glory was inspired by a Get Up Kids song, a newfound interest in Massachusetts, and by their omission, it wasn't really meant to be their name. Like, they just came up with it as some more thing to, like, write down on a flyer for, like, the first show that they did, and they were like, yeah, we will change it eventually. And then they didn't. It was also originally a newfound glory rather than newfound glory. I wish that they had, like, not put a space between the new and the found. It does kind of need a hyphen. Yeah. Their first record was under Fiddler Records, which, as we mentioned, was very important label that gave their first record to a lot of bands at the time, including Dashboard Confessional. And so after this EP kicks off, they tour and get noticed by small independent label Eulogy Records, who they release their first album, Nothing Gold Can Stay Through. Which, by the way, like, half of the source on the internet don't mention that this was initially released on Eulogy, which made me, like, again, lots of research just to figure out which label these people were on with each record. Because this was initially released on Eulogy, which was a small independent label, but was 
pretty quickly acquired by DriveThru Records for like $5,000. They just bought the license to distribute this record and then, you know, signed up uh, Newfound Glory. And yeah, the record is Nothing Gold Can Stay. I listened to it. It's fine. I don't think it's that good. I think this record is way better. They still have to refine their sound. It's way emoer than this. Like, if you think this record is sort of like sappy relationship song. Their previous record is even like a bit slower, a bit sadder, and I'm not that into it. Okay. Drive Through Records apparently likes it. We talked about this label with Phoenix DX. They sure do have some kind of taste. They have the niche. And I'll be honest, Newfound Glory, a lot of levels above Phoenix DX. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that. Oh god, no! Not you too, I really <laughs> like this record. Well, I fairly like this record. I find 9 out of 12 tracks incredibly forgettable, but we're, we'll get there. Okay, but yes, drive through reissues the record, signs Newfound Glory to a deal, and introduce them, because they had, as we mentioned before, they had contacts with MCA, because some of the people who found that drive through records come from being uh, executive at MCA. So they start putting the band actually in contact with MCA, which turns out to be interest in the band. But in the meantime, they work out a deal with drive through and while they're sort of figuring out which label we're actually on, the band keeps touring, which is you know, what all punk bands of this era do, just constant touring, because how else are you gonna eat? And they start making an EP, which is another really dreadful thing to listen to, which I wish Fletch had listened to, because I'm sure he would have some comments about. Oh, yeah. And it's from the screen to your stereo, which is an EP that covers movie songs, including the I Don't Wanna Miss a Thing, which we mentioned in the last episode, and it's coming back to haunt us, and My Heart Will Go On. None of these covers are good. Yeah, no, I, I kind of want to cry just imagining that nasally voice doing My Heart Will Go On. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just read you the track list here. That's what I'm actually pulling up right now. Wow. So we start with that thing you do. Never ending story theme song. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't wanna miss a thing. Oh, these are so bad. The Goonies are good enough. My God. The glory of love. Everything I do I do for you. And the big closer is my heart will go on. Just imagine them, I will splice some of them in here, but imagine them singed by Newfound Glory in a very rushed pop-punk style. They are dreadful, and I sort of, I don't know, they're so bad I sort of love them. Oh no, they've done two more of these! Yes, there are three of these. Oh wow, this, the next one is almost worse. The third one is from last year. Okay, what's, 
how does this progress? I'm gonna regret this. Oh, I have it. Do you want to know the track list from, from your, the screen to your stereo tree? Yes, please. We start with Caps. This is me. The Power of Love. Oh. Let it fucking go from Frozen. What? No. Accidentally in Love. A Thousand Years. And we close with the banger, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> All right. I think I died. Back to the history. So they do from the screen to your stereo while they still don't have a deal with MCA. The record initially comes out on drive-thru, very briefly, because quite quickly after that, they actually finalized their deal with MCA. From your screen to your stereo is put out again, purely under MCA. So the record has been put out a couple of times before only on drive-thru, then on MCA. And then they go to this record. They record this record about a couple of months after, well, one month or so after from the screen to your stereo comes out. They go into the recording for this record, which will come out later this year, in the same year. And this record, for some reason, and I could not figure out why, is put out, even though they had a deal with MCA, is put out jointly through drive-thru and MCA. Couldn't find any details on why this happened, because by this point they were fully signed to MCA. Initially, this was going to be a much different album because Jerry Finn was assigned to produce. He put together a different version of their song Hit or Miss from the last record, trying to make it the leading single, but the band did not like the sound that Finn was putting out. So the production was shifted to Neil Avron instead, previously known for working with Art Alexakis and Everclear. Well, Neil Avron is a producer we will hear a ton in the future, He'll go on to produce some of the most prominent, just like pop punk record moving on. Like, he, pr he will produce um, both Infinity on High and From Under the Cork Tree by Fallout Boy. And yeah, I, I like him. I think he has a very good ear for producing very crisp, not too many bells and whistles, just like rock music. He has this tendency, and we, it starts with this record, and it will go on, like even under the cork tree as this thing, where the voice is always mixed just slightly below where I'd want it to. Yes. A tiny bit too low than you'd want it to, but yeah, we'll hear about him. I think he's a good producer. I think he's a um, better choice for Newfound Glory than Jerry Finn, who we knew from Animal of the State. There is, if you search online, both on Spotify and on YouTube, you can find the original version that Jerry Finn mixed of Hit or Miss. And yeah, I can 
wholeheartedly say that the version that ended up on the record, produced by Neil Avron, fits the band style a lot better. And their goal with this record, which they did succeed at, I guess, is to make a hard punk record with vocals that are as poppy as possible, specifically trying to hit a wide audience. They sure did do that. The cover of the record is just like a bunch of things, because apparently Newfound Glory had no real meaning for their name to mean anything. So apparently that cover of the record symbolizes the fact that it could mean anything. It could mean an action figure. Looks like a 2012 Tumblr mood board. Huh. Now it's Pinterest. Also to note, this was the first record where they dropped the A. They were A Newfound Glory up to the previous EP. This is the first record where they're like, Newfound Glory, without an A. Because apparently it was just confusing for music stores, because... Shall we put you an A? Shall we put you an N? Then people cannot find you because they go search an A, they go search an N. So they were just like, let's make this simple. N. Such hard work to look under both sections. Well, this was also an era where you could have smaller bands that just wouldn't be covered in every record store. If you don't see it in one, you're not likely to go looking in both. You're going to go, oh, I guess that's just not in this one. Fair enough. I'm going to buy M&M now. What do you mean he starts with an E? first single promoting the record is, you know, as expected, Hit or Miss, featuring a comedy video where the bands get up to all sorts of hijinks on their way to the show. This is the one that convinced me Newfound Glory is probably the inspiration for Kingdom Hearts' Organization 13, based on the hairstyles and colors of everyone in this group. Yeah... I was like, no, because they look like dogs, but then I look at them and they're like, no, there are like clear parallels between like self Organization 13 and them. It's wild. They got Naxal, they got a Roxas, they got a Zigbar. Yeah. Man, somebody in the uh, Kingdom Hearts design team was just really into Newfound Glory when they came out. Honestly, probably Nomura. That guy loves him some uh, American music. He tried to make a friggin' musical at one point in the studio. What? This this came up about the development of FF15, yeah. At one point, while they were tooling around with that game, he wanted to go, well, we already did the road trip. What if it's a road trip musical? And a lot of the team shot him down. Nomura said he was so moved by the recent film adaptation of Les Mis during development, he was dead set on it becoming a musical and he wanted it to be in the vein of Baz Luhrmann, the Romeo plus Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and Gatsby guy. Oh, why don't we have that? <laughs> that I'm not going to lie. I would have been very curious to see what that looked like, but I don't think it would have made the game better. <laughs> I don't think it would have been good, and that's why I want it. <laughs> I, I like the final product. I think it was rushed in places, but I think I, it was I, I haven't played it. I'm just like... I am the kind of person who will take a bold failure over just like a standard success every day. And Which I'm really... game are we talking about? 
uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. Carboys. Yeah. Oh my god. Wait, no, no. I want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really want, even if it's terrible, I really want, like, a big budgeted AAA musical RPG. That sounds, like, delicious. Probably not good, but that sounds great. Yeah, we haven't had one of those since the PS3. What was the PS3 one? The one that was about Chopin's dying dream of the clap. Eternal Sonata, I believe. He he was dying of brain rot, and the whole JRPG takes place during the fever. Okay, then. There's also a second single, Dress to Kill. We'll talk about Dress to Kill video, which is very interesting when we talk about the song. Regardless of the singles, which do fairly well, although none of them breaks out to commercial, like, pop Billboard success, the record debuts at 164 on the Billboard Top 200 record on the 14th of October 2000. Just below a still surviving, still there, still hanging on Enem of the State. Fortunately, it will soon overtake Enem of the State, as it will stay on the chart for 21 weeks, which is a lot. And eventually it will peak at 107 in 2001. They will sadly, though, never overtake another record that will debut in the same week that they do, which is Aaron Carter's second record, Aaron Party, bracket, come and get it, close bracket, which will debut at the 16th place on the Billboard chart and remain there for 67 weeks. I just looked at our spreadsheet and I noticed Aaron Carter's Aaron's Party is not on there. It is not. It is not pop-punk, but I just found it like a fun tidbit. Uh, not according to Rate Your Music. I thought Aaron Carter was pop-punk. Not according to Rate Your Music. We've been saved. What do you classify Aaron Carter as? Pop? I guess, but he, he's edgy. He beat Shaq. So, Aaron Party, come and get it. It's classified as teen pop, pop rap, and bubblegum. I don't know if that's because it comes with a bubblegum in it, or if it's... Bubblegum pop. I know, I'm, I was making a joke. I was making a funny. Got it, got it. Also, that was the That's How I Beat Shaq album. In some regions, songs from the Pokemon soundtrack and Hang On Sloopy were released as bonus tracks. Well, that's a thing. Aaron Carter facts. This is an Aaron Carter podcast now. I don't think there's enough meat on those bones, much like Aaron Carter himself. He made five whole records, the last of it being in 2018. What? Yes, he has blue hair now, and tattoos. He has three greatest hits albums! <laughs> he must have had some really great hits. What is this? I just saw the latest one and the cover and... Wow. Okay, sure. Also, every track on this album has stupid formatting, and I hate it. Yeah, the album title is Louvie. All right, I am. I have to know what Aaron Carter EDM sounds like. Let's do this. <laughs> Hook it to my veins. Remember when this was a pop punk podcast? No more coffee in the morning. I'm wide awake while he's sleeping in. No, that's why you call it. You woke up chasing feelings. Oh, I've heard this. <laughs> this played on the radio at the liquor store when I worked there. You poor soul. 
I didn't know this was Aaron Carter. I just thought this was like one of many, many forgettable EDM artists. Okay. Well, today I learned something dark. <laughs> Cursed knowledge. I thought Aaron Carter was a shaggy B-side. Well, I am glad that, that this podcast helps us discover forbidden lore of the current world. Also, Brian Singer was involved somehow. <laughs> that guy just keeps bringing all the worst things back. I don't even know what this episode is anymore. It's Better Off Dead, like the first track on the album Newfound Glory by Newfound Glory. Yeah, we should talk about the album. Let's get this thing going on. Let's get this bread, ladies. feels like they definitely went for the goal of sounding like an actual punk band and they have some good play on the guitar and on the drums on a couple tracks it really stands out the problem is it feels like you transported a random vocalist from blink 182 onto this album over an actual punk band i like this track so much i really love this track that's like good fast Punk, like the drum is doing their hard snare thing. They're really going for that sort of like trying to implement their hardcore punk influences into a very poppy song. There is a nice tempo contrast between the verse and the chorus and the ending bit. There's like that hook at the end and you're better off dead or something that's really good. The production is very dry, bringing up a lot of the instrument. This really sounds like sort of like the beginning, the origin of Easycore, and I'm really into it. Garbage lyrics. Garbage, garbage lyrics, but... I don't know, I'm into this. This is great. This guy's voice sounds like if you put Tom DeLonge's voice in through a funhouse mirror. Ooh, that's a good description. <laughs> And so he doesn't sound good, and the lyrics are insane, and the drums completely clash with everything else. I can hear them more clearly than anything else. Um, so it just kind of sounds like a slow car wreck, or a fast poppy one, I guess. There's like, I listen to this and I'm like, wow, I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> No, I love I love this. The the fast drums, the the good tune, the chorus is a catchy, there's a good couple of hooks in the song, really good pop songwriting. The lyrics I don't I don't know what they're on about. Like they start being like, Oh, maybe maybe she likes you, maybe he likes you and then it's just like, Oh no, she left and you're just like, What? What what? Their lyric writing Sounds like what the kind of poetry that you get from an insomniac 13-year-old. The first verse is already nonsense, and it's warning you in advance. Don't try and make any sense of these, because 
The first line, according to, I double-checked this twice, is, Ash his heart onto the ground. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Pull his guts out by frustration. What really gets me is that they, they seem to be going for a thing in the verse, and then just like, the car is just like, oh no, she already left. And just like, well, that's not, that, that is. But you know what? I don't give a shit. This song is just fun. So fun. Just like, that's that cool ending. I love this song. Again, without the lyrics, I would have this as number one. This is still top three. I just think that it sounds exactly like the other 12 songs on this album, melodically wise. I agree. It may not sound good. I disagree with you that I'm with Adam and that I think I, I mentioned nine out of 12 tracks on this album sound identical to me. Well, the, the, yeah, that's for punk for you. But I, I think they're all sound, they're all fun. Like, I don't think none of them sound unpleasant to me. There is a bit of sameness. I think they don't have the the spark that makes like every song be a single. They're not okay, go. <laughs> but if I could hear the melody over the drums, maybe I would like it. Yeah, the mixing really hurts a couple of tracks. Oh, I don't mind the mixing. I think the voice is a bit low, which I think is fair. But I don't know. Those drums are just like they're good. They're like snare. They're like snare city. There, you just like. The musicians play very well. That is this band. The musicians play very well. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, I like nasally pop punk voice, you know? Yeah. I feel like the uh, uh, drummer and the guitarist both got, like, different instructions on what kind of song they were trying to make, though. It definitely feels at odds with what is being spoken more than once. Oh, yeah. A lot of these lyrics are sort of like sappy relationship lyrics over like this, like, just fast, fun punk. And he's just like, ah. why? Yeah. It's like, that's not the tone that your lyricist is going for. I am grateful that it isn't the tone that your lyricist is going for, because the tone that your lyricist is going for sucks. The tone that your musicians are going for, I'm super into. So, you know. Yeah, that's fair. But with that, we should probably stop uh, talking in circles and move forward to Dress to Kill. This one has a video. Oh, it so does. A music video about creep shots, jerking it, and shrines to people you don't <laughs> want to talk to. Yeah, the video has like very insult vibes, but then there is like the the greatest the greatest plot twist since Teenage Dirtbag that we ever saw in music at the end. But in Teenage Dirtbag, it was way more wholesome because. In this song, and especially the video, the lady who is being lusted after, who has a boyfriend, comes up to the narrator and goes, What? No, I. you are way more my type. And they do something about it. In this one, she continues staying with the guy who has the cool car, but literally makes a shrine picking up debris from the singer. This would be a great 
Like, so the video is like the, the main character of the video is creepy, just like takes photo of this this girl who has a boyfriend, tries to like. He might not even be doing that. He's downloading the photo in a very 2000s way. We see it load line by line, and he's got tissues out to look at her get her mail. Honestly, it feels like the opening to a Criminal Minds episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm slowly getting there. Like, so the video, like, this, the kids, like, downloading thing, jerking off or whatever, or at least it's implied um, to this girl who has, like, a boyfriend and shit, like, throws rock at her windows and then runs away because he's too embarrassed, tries to call her in the middle of the night, which is, wow, that's creepy, and also then hangs up because he's too embarrassed. And, you know, typical video. And the ending just shows her having, like, this even bigger shrine to him in her room? And that just raises so many questions. It does, but also, like, isn't that, like, the greatest fucking insipid for a horror movie? This is going to end in a murder. It, honestly, it sounds like an incel's greatest fantasy right there. It, it is meant to be that, but I like the idea where this could be, like, the beginning of a horror movie. Like, this guy is obsessed with this girl, does all of the incel shit... But then turns out this girl is, like, a complete, like, psychopath that has, like, this obsession with that guy, and, like... And then she goes Jennifer's body on him? Yeah. The good version of this video is the movie Audition. The gist of it is a Japanese movie producer is trying to find a wife. And so what he does is he holds a fake audition for a thing that is just going to get cancelled during production, but he's going to use this as a meet-cute and a way to test out a bunch of ladies, and maybe he'll find the right one. And then we find out the person he's chosen is a psychopath who has already very gleefully sliced up one man with piano wire prior to meeting him, and the whole thing just turns on him in ways he did not see coming. It's very good, it's very tense, and there's just this one noise she makes that I don't think I can do with my voice, but it's haunting to anyone who's ever seen it. As she's dragging the wire across flesh. Yeah, sounds great. Yes! I have nightmares now. <laughs> you should see the scene. Don't don't traumatize Adam. It's a very good movie. I mean, speaking of uh, uh, dreams, according to the song that we were going to talk about, this dude can't dream anymore since uh, whoever it is left. Yeah, uh, we should talk about the song itself. It's a pop-punk song about a breakup. It's surprising that we had to come this far to have this song pop out, because this song will repeat through... All of the bands that we're going to listen to. This song pretty much exactly will be done by everyone. It's a mid-tempo song about a breakup. Sort of a slight punk energy, but not really. Very middle-of-the-road lyrics. It gets even slower on the pre-chorus, and then you go into a really catchy... Well, not really catchy, but trying to be a really catchy chorus. And has this blink guitar... This gets props for being the first time we've got this song on the podcast, but it will be done and done again and again and again and again and again by a bunch of other bands. Yep. Yep. So, 
I don't know if we have anything more to add than that. Yeah. And thus, this track will leave us with a note. Sincerely, moi. Oh, wait, it's not French. Sincerely, me. His handwriting is atrocious. Dear your name here. There's a good bass line here. This one stood out to me because it's the one where he dies at the end, which I didn't see coming. Does he? Did you not hear the part where they're talking about my heart stopped beating and then the heart monitor flatlines to close the song? Oh, I, I, I didn't notice that. Got it. Yeah, the very end, you just start hearing a boop, boop. Ooh, under the music. It's mixed incredibly poorly. I had to back up and confirm that I wasn't hearing something else in the house. Oh, I can hear it now. Yeah. But yeah, this this, this has a very earwormy riff. I think this riff that gets stuck in your head, the guitar riff on this. Here is where the singing starts being a bit of a problem here, mostly because this guy is trying very hard to sound like passionate and sincere, and it comes off as a bit too much here. This song is pretty much my entire problem with Newfound Glory in that the mixing is real rough. It's called Sincerely Me, but it seems to be clad in as much irony as it can bear. The verses start with Dear Your Name Here, Dear I Forget Your Name. If you're trying to do the somber track, but all you can come up with are comedy bits, maybe you need to just lean into being a little more of a farcical fun time band than 10 different breakup songs. Yeah, if you read reviews of this record at the time, that's what a lot of them say, that like, oh, they're not as funny as Blink. But here's my issue with that criticism. We've listened to the Blink album. That record has way less funny songs that people remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we haven't quite gotten to the completely just, like, silly bowling for soup kind of pop punk, where it's just, like, it's very honk-honk, as you put it in one of previous episodes. So, yeah. I I also agree. I think the the whole, like, Youth and Glory are very, like, we talk about relationships, and they do it very badly, and I feel, to me, it always comes off as they talk about relationships because they think that's what will get them pop appeal. Rather, like, none of this shit feels sincere. I, I agree with you there. Like, none of these lyrics feel sincere in any kind of way. They feel very constructed, which is a shame because musically this is great. I think it's very fun music. But yeah, I, I do agree that that's the fault. That there's, like, they're not good Charlotte in that they're, they're not painfully, like, sincere and just like themselves about their lyrics they are there's a lot of um they're clad in a lot of not even irony they're just clad in a lot of like very constructed stuff that doesn't really come off in any kind of interesting or good way and they also suffer from you know it's very constructed and they're not good lyricists 
right? No. Yeah. It's just like, if you're not a good lyricist, you should at least try to sound sincere. It's difficult to pull off the constructed thing if you're not a good lyricist. And they're not hot enough to just sing nonsense like Backstreet Boys did and <laughs> be great, be like, good at it. Also, one of them looks like a young Henry Rollins these days. Because while I was doing some of the research, I saw a photo and it's like, is that is that 2000s era Henry Rollins? No, that's what one of their singers looks like now. They currently look like the Steve Buscemi meme, if you look at one of their latest video. Yeah. They they are pretty much dads wearing still pop-punk outfit. It's adorable. You know, I, I can't fault it. I've said a few times, I like a band that finds their spot and consistently delivers. I just don't think they found their spot on this record. Yeah, I... Honestly, lately, not lately, but for, for a while I've been finding a lot more respect for bands that, like, 40 years later stick to their sound. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, especially when you have, like, a bunch of bands then try and, like, chase trends or whatever, it's sort of, like, nice that you see, like, Newfound Glory and no, they're still doing the pop-punk thing. You see the singer from Motion City Soundtrack, and it's just like, yep, still making records that sounds like they came straight up from the 2000s. I think there's like a, there's like some respect there that you're like, you're not, you're not embarrassing yourself. You're doing what you know that you can do, and you're doing it well. I think there's like a dimension for that that I can respect. And if you're going to change genres, please, for the love of God, make sure the production staff you have working with you knows what they're doing. A Madonna can do that. A Bowie can do that. Uh, I've definitely seen some hard left turns fail. I would also argue that a Madonna cannot really do that as of late. I think Madonna couldn't do that since, like, the 90s. Have you listened to the stuff that came out a couple of years ago that she did? No, I'm seeing things on here that I didn't know existed, like Madame X. Yeah, Madame X is garbage. So bad. Anyway... Let's talk about how we waited too long and discuss hit or miss. I guess they never miss, huh? <laughs> I'm going to invest in your house, Ellie. <laughs> this is the one of these songs I actually had heard prior. It's a Blink-182 song. Yep. And I didn't actually realize I had heard it until the chorus, because everything else is pretty forgettable. But... Have I waited too long? Have, Have I found, found that someone? Someone? That sticks out. Yeah. That's a good tune. I feel like these are their least incoherent lyrics. Still pretty incoherent, but like, some of it almost makes sense. Yeah, this is more straight up like, uh, I found love song. This is a weird pop breakup song, but it doesn't get weighed down. It's constantly moving. It has a pretty good chorus. Hey. This is a good single. There's a bit of repetition, but even that, there's some good production there. Like, the backing vocals keeps 
uh, layering onto each other at the end, which helps them giving give like that ending bit a bit of more of a dimension to itself. It goes a bit less hard than a lot of songs on this record. Like the drums are a bit more contained. Although there's still some like good, just like fast stuff going on there. Straight up a love song, catchy tune, bit less hard than the other song. Only thing that sticks out is that at some point there's um, a line being like. The, the time that we discovered that Thriller is both of our favorite songs and like knowing the scene from where this guy came out from and knowing the music that they made I'm, I'm very doubtful that Thriller is any of this guy's favorite song Thriller? Really? Are you sure? I, I That definitely feels like a lyrical attempt at being relatable like what, what, what do people like? Michael Jackson, Thriller I have a counterpoint. I knew a dude growing up who, all throughout high school, was such a fan of Thriller because I think it was one of the only pop songs he heard growing up being in such a sheltered family, from what I knew of his background, that he insisted all throughout high school, you could do the Thriller dance to any song. And I remember very specifically that... I upset him to a, oh my god, my worldview has been shattered degree by going, I got one for you, and I put on some prog rock, and he was trying to find the rhythm, and he started crying as he realized that his worldview was no longer true. That, that's a harrowing tale, Fletch. Fletch, destroyer of worlds, views. Well, I didn't think he was going to react like that, I just thought it'd be, eh, eh, gotcha, not, oh, I'd killed God. <laughs> I mean, sometimes killing God is an accident. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. Sometimes killing God is very prog rock. Also, we all know that Bad is a better song. Smooth Criminal is a better song. You know? If you yeah, Thriller is Thriller is definitely only remembered for the video. Yeah. I mean, Bad, Bad as a whole is a better record than Thriller. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Hit or Miss is the one that has the funny video. Uh, I... I'm coming to realize I hate funny videos from pop punk bands because they're all the same. Porno, bachelor pad where you live like shit, yeah. uh, concert in a house, yeah. babe party, and at least one crime. Yeah. I like the the video that we'll see in two years, which is the video for My Friends Over You. I think that's a funnier video than this one. At this point, all of them are just trying to do a lower-budget version of a Blink video. Yeah. Yep. Because one thing I realize now that we've gotten past it, and I was crapping on it first, oh, this is just doing all the different TRL stuff from the day. Oh, wait, they had the money to do shoots where you cordon off a sidewalk and streak through the town. They had the money to do shots in white suits at an airplane hangar mocking on the Backstreet Boys. That This is not that. That's it. That's what I got. Yeah. Yep. Also, Blink-182, there's a reason why Blink-182 is more successful than Newfound Glorious, generally. And part of it is that Blink-182 is more attractive for a general audience than Newfound Glory, who look like, I don't know. JRPG villains? Yeah. Their lyrics are coherent. Yeah, they're not good, but they're coherent. Like, I could theoretically sing along with them and understand the words that I was singing. 
And speaking of, the next track is probably, in my opinion, the nadir of lyrics without being offensive and mixing. So let's go on to second to last. Is it your second to last pick for the album, Fletch? Oh no, it's firmly last. <laughs> oh no, this is Mushing Tune. Love this. Okay, so the drums and the guitar overwhelm the chorus like mad. Yeah. I like the guitars and the drums. You still have that really heavy, snare-heavy drums that just, you know, keep this very good pace. Some good guitars. The guitars are always a bit Blink 182-y, but wherever I like them. I don't know. I really like this. This is Mashing Tune. Has that good chorus today. It's the last. I can't hear it. You have the those backing vocals going, hey, 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 like it's a fucking ska song. Yeah, I've got oi, oi, oi written in here. Like <laughs> a tune. It's good. It's good. It's mixed like such crap, and what he wrote makes it... I can't tell if it's supposed to be self-loathing or this is tough love, babe, nothing personnel. It's a mess. I, I, I hear this song, and it says today is the first day of your life, and my brain is like, hmm, we should go listen to uh, 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 First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes instead. Or First Day by Timo Moss. I don't know, I like the song. This is a two f- All of his songs are really short, really good, really fun, really catchy. This, this like, first batch of five songs is just, like, so good. I, it, it's mixed so badly, and I think that made me take the knives out on the rest of it. Do we want to talk about a song that we all can roast, because we all can agree that it sucks? Sure. Let's go to Eyesore. It sure is. This is the tender and slow song on this album. And on the other hand, it's not draggy. I'll give it that. No, but sucks. It's not good. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's them trying to do. I think this is the closest we come to a ballad. Yeah, it's really slow. It's four minutes, four whole minutes. It's sappy and overdramatic without having any good writing behind it without having the, you know, excuse of aesthetics. You know, for how much the McElroy give me, like, very sex-pest vibes, and I don't really want to be associated with any of their media, their motto of, like, no bummer that they have on their live show, I think should apply to pop-punk bands. No bummers, please. Just go fast, go fun, don't... 
don't bother us with sad shit. Like, even AFI's, like, sad boy gothic stuff didn't feel like a bummer. Well, yeah, you can you can be angsty without being a drag. It's just, like, overdramatic, sappy, and honestly, like, I like this song for one reason that we'll have to keep in mind this song when we go forward to review a bunch of emo pop in the future. It's mostly like, you know, this will put that view thing in perspective. We can say like, oh, this is bad, but it's not eyesore. I'm I'm waiting for the emo albums to start hitting because that's... I want it. Give me something to chew on. Mmm, tasty. I mean, I'm sitting here gothed out to the nines today in pitch black pants, a Hausu t-shirt that's nothing but white, orange, and black. Give me the goth. Look, you are known for liking the slow songs. Do you like Eisor? No. <laughs> I had to look up the lyrics because the mixing was so bad, I couldn't tell what was being said in the chorus again. Hmm. And, in fact, there were entire words that just didn't come through. I thought they were part of the drums. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really... The guy who mixed it clearly knows how to do instrumentation, but he doesn't know what to do with the levels afterwards. Oh, vocals? Who, who even listened to vocals? Maybe he just doesn't like this dude's voice. <laughs> He's like, oh man, this dude's voice is garbage. Let's uh try to sweep it under the rug here. Ah, there's some good drums. Yeah, let's make the drums real loud. <laughs> mm. The drummer paid the the mixing guy to get louder in the mix. I would kind of love to hear a story of a band that implodes because everyone is trying to set up their spin-off for a solo career, but nobody can work together long enough to get that bass that split off of made. And that band will be called Mitch Allen and the Mitch Allens. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Uh, anyhow, let's go to relationship advice with newfound glory. Well, sorry, Vegas. This is neither the Crystal Method nor the Cocteau Twins. One out of ten. <laughs> Every time I think about Vegas by the Cocteau Twins, now the only thing that comes to mind to me is the TikTok where they do the, um, the lyrics. I don't know if anyone has seen it. I have seen that. It turns out I see a lot of Cocteau Twins related memes. <laughs> I also liked, wow, somebody loved Heaven or Las Vegas so much they built Las Vegas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, that took a bit to hit. That took a second to Yep. <laughs> it's such a stupid joke that I love it. Anyhow, this is almost interlude level. It's one of the shorter songs on the record. It's just 2 minutes 30. It's not chorus oriented. It's just like fast guitars and drum punk. 
and for some reason over this fast guitar and punk that is just like not chorus oriented just pure noise that sounds very fun to hear at a live show uh, the, the singer is giving really bland relationship advice I don't know what is going on with this track I have uh, big offspring judgy boomer energy energetic track that says nothing and might be kind of tutting at you yeah but that also works it's so amazing how people can be held down by just one person that doesn't even care what they think. I know it's so stupid. I know it's so stupid is repeated a lot. Yeah, it's just like, oh, people fall in love so fast nowadays. Bah. The other thing that they repeat a lot in their songs is, uh, I'm having such a hard time right now. I'm having a very hard time. I know you're having a hard time. And it's not even 2020 yet. <laughs> and it's not even 2020. It's not even 2008. But this is this is a quick one. Musically it works, lyrically it doesn't. That's really... Uh, yeah, that's most you know. of this record. <laughs> yeah. No, none of these lyrics are good. The music is very fun. This record is paced really well, for what it's worth. Other than Eyesore and the closing track, nothing dragged. No, it's like 40-ish minutes, 39 minutes. All of the songs are about three minutes long. Some of them, most of them are shorter. And they're all good tunes, most of them. So yeah, it's just like, this is one of the few records that we listen to this podcast where like, I didn't stop three quarters through being like, oh, how much there is still of this thing? But then we move on to Sucker, which, ooh, boy, if you want to talk about the lyrics failing. It is one of the songs that I like the least about this record. It's not, there's, it doesn't go particularly hard and it's not particularly catchy. It's sort of a middling song, but it presents us with the worst pickup line that we've experienced on this podcast yet, which is, tell me about your first kiss. Yeah, as well as the very neggy follow-up line, tell me or have you already forgotten it? My first kiss went a little like this. So this sounds like a line that, like, NSYNC would have in one of their songs. But again, Newfound Glory is not as hot as NSYNC, or at least for the 2000 standards. So doesn't work. No, no one is being wooed by this line, Newfound Glory. I'm sorry. No, and this whole thing feels like something that a drunk guy would stammer at you at the bar. Uh, especially, just leave me here and tell me to my face what you think about. Can we figure out what happened to our happy ending anyway? But, you know, music low, we're all alone, being wrong never felt so right. Ugh. It whiplashes between, I'm trying to be tender, oh, you made a face, well now I'm gonna just try and beat you into the ground emotionally. What do I have to do to get through all this? I'm writing it down. I bet you thought this song was about you. And that's the repeated chorus. 
something that I want to bring up is the fact that they're like, okay, I bet you thought the song was about you. And in Boy Crazy, they're like, uh, girls think everything is about them. And then there's the song all about her. This is the inverse of, oops, I dropped my monster condom for my Magnum dong. It is instead, wow, it would be great if you were worth my time, but I suppose I'll settle for you. Yeah. <laughs> the lyrics are not good. I'm not even gonna get into the sort of uh, skeevy vibes it gives off uh, uh, knowing the proclivities of one of the band members. Oh yeah, that makes this real fun, because like I said, the lyrics read CD pickup lines at a bar. The lyricist slash guitarist for some of their songs is um... <laughs> Oh, did he write? Did he write the lyrics? I didn't know that. Yeah, the problem is that a lot of things from this era of the band just have written and composed by Newfound Glory, not individual tracks. But I did see a couple mentions that he was a lyricist and guitarist. Yeah. 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 Growth. Yep. Let's go to Black and Blue. Not a placebo track, one out of ten. No, um, this one is... It's hard to find anything to distinguish this from many other tracks on the album. It's a very interlude song. It's another song that is not particularly chorus-oriented. And it's a very interesting mix to me of, like, there you have this verse, which is very sort of unstructured, messy, fun, sort of hardcore punk-inspired verse. And then you go into a slow mid-tempo chorus. I don't hate it. I think it's quite okay. It's angry dressed to kill. Hmm. Because we, we straight up have, I can't sleep, I ran out of dreams. But instead of being, I long for you, it's, ugh, you ruined my life, you've made me this way. That's what you're good at. It is also one of the, the musically the hardest song that it goes on this record. Again, that's like very snare-heavy very, like, obsessive drumming. The guitars sort of do a very slightly heavier sound. Although this, you still have some of those blink flares. Man, I get... It's okay. The fact that I mix it up very much with the thing that got pushed as a single uh, says a lot. Yeah, that's fair. I think it has, like, a lots of cool tidbits, but it's not one of the best songs of the record. I think it's completely fine. I like it. You know what's not completely fine? Bye, crazy! These girls are crazy Just listen to what I have to say about it You gotta watch out for the younger ones They'll tightly wrap you around their fingers And brag to all their friends It's nothing but a game to them The target you Hey, remember how we mentioned that it 
kind of called back to uh, You're So Vain. You, you probably think this song is about you on another. They do that here in the chorus just for the hell of it. Yep. This song gave me clinical depression. This song is All Girls Are Evil. Yeah, it's pretty bad. We get it, buddy. You're an incel. Yeah, we, we keep throwing around the word incel, but boy, a lot of this band has that energy on this album. This song is for stupid girls who think that every boy is all about them, about them. These girls are crazy. A uh, line that seems real bad in context now. You gotta watch out for the younger ones. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I miss, I miss the tracks of this band where they were completely incoherent that you could not understand what they were on about. Because... We can understand what they're on about on this track, and it's not but good. But it's gross. <laughs> Again, seeing that he was a sometimes lyricist, I can't give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Because this one specifically points out the stupid girls, the younger ones, they'll wrap you around their fingers and it's a game to them. And it's like, ugh, this really has Hubert Humbert energy. This is one of the songs that I don't think it's terrible melodically, like in terms of sound, but even I cannot just go past the lyrics on this one. This is just bad. Yeah. Especially when they slow it down for the chorus, and the chorus is literally, this is for all the stupid girls that think all of this is all about them. It's just like, uh, no. no. It's bad. But speaking about girls that think things are all about her... Let's talk about the next song, All About Her. on this song smashes it's great I can't remember it I I wrote it as this one has rap rock chords just, uh, just catchy it's not even particularly complex it's just very simple and very like catchy the guitar riff on this so did the vocals sound incredibly poorly mixed on this track to anyone else I just wrote, and I can't point to the exact moment it happens, but the vocalist is Benjamin Buttoning because it starts getting higher, like he's reversing his puberty while he sings this track. It's This album is kind of fascinating because I thought I'd heard poorly produced records before, but this is taking it to some new levels. I'll I'll be honest, Fletch. I also think maybe, and I don't think this uh, this album has issues producing wise, but I think that like YouTube probably has some more compressed version of this music. I was listening on Spotify and I still couldn't hear Jackal. I am not saying that this record doesn't have production issues. I'm just mentioning that maybe the 
you, you should go do a non-YouTube listen of stuff at some point, because I didn't hear the Benjamin Buttoning of this thing, uh, in this, this song at all. Alright, then I make my promise to you. Next week, I will listen to Green Day's album on Daily Motion. <laughs> what year are we in? They still exist, and they still flaunt copyright. Yep. I could probably watch it all as AMVs, too. <laughs> no, that sounds like fun. I just have to look at the track listing for our next recording session to know that all of these will have been made into AMVs. How many of them will have Kingdom Hearts AMVs? I can actually look right now. <laughs> There's a convenient AMV database that I just look up regularly for this kind of thing. Ooh, I can also get Green Day versus Oasis versus Travis. <laughs> I mean, Oasis wins, clearly. Yeah, I don't think Travis is going to come out on that one. I mean, Oasis seems the one that are more used to just, like, fighting. They must fight against each other, but, you know, if they can come up with a united front against Green Day, uh, they can do it. Can you imagine a pop-punk Smash Bros? It would be just as disappointing as the Sony Smash Brothers. Remember when that happened? I do. They had to start borrowing characters from random other companies because they didn't have enough Sony exclusives. Hey, the guy from Bioshock is here. And the final boss of the game was a mascot who existed for under a year on the original PlayStation. Everyone remembers Sony's hit character, Polygon Man. Isn't that a Pokemon? No, that's Polygon. With an R. No, that's the state that's near us, uh, Oregon, up the coast. No, that's the game. That's Oregon Trail. Oh, right. Oh, we're gonna die of dysentery? Pepperoni and cheese. Anyway, back to the album. Do we have anything else to say about all about her? No. Nope. song, Ballad for the Lost Romantic. It's an okay pop-punk song. I don't know why the title is what it is. Yeah, me neither. The drum go fairly hard, the chorus sort of goes nowhere, it's probably the worst chorus on the record, and you have all of the Blink-style guitars that you'd ever want in a song. So, it's performed like they're an actual punk band, but lyrically it's like what if somebody lobotomized the Dropkick Murphys? <laughs> Damn. That's the chorus! The chorus is straight up, it needs a little more slurring, and it would just be a Dropkick Murphys or a Flogging Molly song. Here's to us fools that have no meaning, I tip my glass to you. Let's toast the night away to friends and forget about tomorrow. A, none of that rhymes, and you're not singing it like a shanty, which it needs to be, and 
all of this is just completely at odds with the rest of the album tonally. When you first said that, I looked at the pre-chorus instead of the chorus, and I was like, how is... I don't know that much about those bands, but... No, it's... This is written like a drinking song, but it's not played like one. Yeah. No, it's just a standard fast pop punk song. And then it... And then Ballad for the Lost Romantics has nothing to really do unless it's just, well, it's a ballad because it's a song about feeling sad for yourself and we're all clearly lost romantics and not kinda skeezy dirtbags. Anyhow, this is a real failure of a finale. It's okay. I don't hate it. I don't think it works as a closer. I don't think it works as a track. And it's not... No. It's just very boring and droning. I like it. I think it's a fine pop-punk song. I think the problem mainly is the chorus, which doesn't work, but... mm, I don't think it works as a finale. It's not a great climactic ending, but whatever. This is a collection of fun punk songs. Catchy. That you can listen to. I will say this. The version of this you can find on YouTube has another eight tracks of bonuses and demos, and I listened partway into those because I wanted to get to the second one from Jonathan Frakes' own Clock Stoppers. What? That's right. Oh, did you not know Commander Riker directed a movie? No. What? Clock Stoppers is a film where a guy invents a watch that lets you move at a faster rate outside of time with the horrible effect that it does straight-up age you at the faster rate that you're moving at. So they're, A, trying to stop this tech from being made, but certain members of the team are like, but we could actually use this to take over the world, and it falls into the hands of a kid, and B, it's... Jonathan Frakes directing one of the pop-punkiest films ever, if you look at the soundtrack. Most of the bands are people we have covered on this show already. Phoenix TX, Smash Mouth, Newfound Glory, uh, who... I'm gonna just pull more of this up. Yeah, Blink is on it, uh, with a song that's not going to be on an album for a bit. The Dandy Warhol, Simple Plan, Lit, uh, for some reason Cool Keith... Uncle Cracker, Sugar Ray, Third Eye Blind. It's a wild one. Also, Jonathan Frakes apparently cameoed as a bystander, I found out. I didn't know that. Okay, then. Yeah, but that that was the second place I had apparently heard Newfound Glory before, because it's a very bad love ballad, but it's got way more energy than anything on this record. Okay, I like this record. Well, lyrically. Lyrically, it's got more energy than anything on this record. Yeah, no, I, I I will gladly say this album 
uh, actually goes pretty hard. If you gave me an acapella version, I'd be pretty down. If we were going to be doing an acapella version, we were going to need a different vocalist. <laughs> right, right. Not acapella. I stupidly said acapella. What I meant to say was, um... Instrumental? instrumental? Karaoke. Karaoke versions, yeah. Uh... Where you don't have the lyrics. Okay, yeah, no, I'm totally down for a karaoke version. Yeah, sorry, I don't know why my brain said acapella. Wow. It'd be like that sometimes. Um, yeah, I... The, the, listening to this just kind of felt like a... Hmm. I could listen to this, or I could do something fun. <laughs> like watch Clockstoppers. I could watch Clockstoppers, and that'd probably be more fun. I like this record. I think it's really good. I think the lyrics are hot garbage. I think musically this is fun. There's a collection of great pop punk tunes. You can hear the starting up of the easy chord sound that Newfound Glory and then other bands will evolve onto as the years go by. You can hear the beginning of that sort of harder than usual drums and sort of harder than usual riffs some small breakdowns going on over this really poppy singing tunes. I think this is a great record. I think it's a, well, great. I think it's a pretty good record. I, this is a 3.5 out of 5 for me. This is fun. It's sort of the blueprint for any band that will try to be like Blink-182 moving forward. We will hear a lot of records that sounds like this record here. Um, and yeah. Could have a bit of more hooky, catchy choruses for me, but aside from that, this is fun. I like this. This is just below Blink-182 in my chart of top records that we did for the podcast. Definitely upper half of the chart. I put this firmly at halfway, because like I said, the music, the musicians performing are very good at their jobs. But the producer and the mixing and the lyrics are crap. And I should probably knock it down a few slots because of the creep factor on a few things, but the music goes hard. Yeah, I think a key factor if you like this record for a listener is that how much can you ignore lyrics and music? I cannot. Yeah. I think if you cannot ignore lyrics and music, this goes way down, because the lyrics are bad. Oh, how I long for the days of the juvenile nonsense of Blink-182. But here's my issue with that. There wasn't much juvenile nonsense in Blink-182 Animal of the State. Like, that's my issue with that record. There's a lot that's way more sad songs about bros on this, that record. Okay, oh how I did long for the sad songs about bro. That's fair. Plus, a sad song about bros is just bra, bra, bra. As opposed to a long pain to uh, the girl who wrapped you around her finger and mocked you. It goes in the trash. Anyhow, in the next episodes of Gotta Get Out of This Town Z.
this record was a concrete success. Nothing blew up, but it built them up to the point that MCA... This is one of the only times you're going to hear on this show for the past while that the record label was not pissed off with what they got for their money. Yeah, they stayed on the chart for about 21 weeks. Respectable sales. The record went gold in a year. Yep. Which, again, that happened a lot more back then, and you basically had to do that to be considered a success if you were a breakout artist. The band would start touring after this, and they would be going with Green Day, Phoenix TX, Blink-182, a lot of shows. There was the Warp Tour. There were late shows. There were international tours. There was their drummer breaking an arm, which we'll cover uh, a little in the future. But we're going to see them again pretty soon, because like so many people we're covering right now, they have a follow-up in 2002, and they will be co-headlining the Warp Tour as they release Sticks and Bones. Yeah, the the two year the two year cycle the two year album cycle. You generally release an album every two years, which will become painfully familiar as we go with this project forward. Because yeah, yep. Hopefully, in in the two thousand one, we'll probably see some of the bands that we've heard in two thousand in nineteen ninety nine release a record. Pretty sure Lit has a record in two thousand one. Um. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah two-year album cycle. But uh, we're going to shift gears. We're going to see some real heavy hitters for the next few weeks, actually. Give us a rundown. What's going on in the next few weeks? Well, as I already said, next up we have Green Day's Warning, but directly after that, The Offspring return with Conspiracy of One and American Hi-Fi and Dashboard Confessional are going to break onto our show. Nice. Yeah, this is going to be a fun set. Yeah, let's go to the ending bit. Same song, different chorus. So, this was the episode. You can, as always, find us at getoutofthistown.com. Send us email at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on GGOOTT Podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're everywhere. You can rate and review us on iTunes. It helps. Please do it. I can be found at hellscaper.com. Find me there. See ya. No, but I didn't... Fletch, do you have anything to plug? You're not respecting the ritual. Fletch, do you have anything to plug? You can find everything I work on at hellscaper.com. Adam, do you have anything to plug? Nope, I do not exist on the internet. And you can find me on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but we recently started a Lost and Found service. So if you've lost your new glory, come to us. I will find it for you. Good night, people. See ya. Good night. I've got the time to stick around I'll catch my flight Like a pop pocket And get out of this town What's on your mind? There's no point left To keep your image down Let's terrify
Hello, and welcome to Gotta Hail Satan, Hail Satan tonight at the Mountain Goats Retrospective. And today we're talking about the newly released new record, Getting Into Knives. Wrong podcast, Ellie. Crap. You wish. Coral Spring, California, where they were from. They're not from California. They're from Florida. It's Coral Spring, Florida? Coral Springs is, it, is in Florida. Isn't that the same thing? No. What's the difference between California and Florida? <laughs> one is a swamp, and the other one is like has mountains and shit in it. Desert for. We have every type of place but swamp here in california yes and florida is sinking underwater there's a very large difference okay look i only know america from tv shows and they look the same to me i'm okay. gonna retake this <laughs> i'm gonna add this at the end like as an outtake that's fair <laughs> yeah i did do research on coral springs per your request in the notes okay that's how i knew that Okay, I have two things on my whiteboard now. All right. More people equals more libraries, and Ellie equals murderer? Wow, that makes me upset because I love the film that City of Angels is a remake of, and I think City of Angels is a good cover of of the film, and boy. <laughs> a good cover of the film? <laughs> yeah, uh, City of Angels is a remake of Wings of Desire. No, no, I know, I, I, I was just like, um, just objecting to using cover for, for films as a term for films, but okay. Ellie? <laughs> you used the uh, 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 dissonance word wrong. Yeah, ludonarrative dissonance has come up how many times? I get to call them covers. Ah, uh, yeah, I really like the switch cover of Dark Souls. I'm, I'm entirely down with that. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> I'm going to start referring to remakes as covers. Yes, I love it. I can't wait for the new Demon Souls cover. It looks like it's going to be done by a weird pop-punk art group. Because it doesn't have any of the grime sound now. They got a new producer, the whole thing comes out feeling weird. And for some reason, Brian Singer's involved. <laughs> oh god, please no. <laughs> uh, I, where were we? <laughs>
That's lit. Anyhow, in the next episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town Z. A warning from the future. Green Day has returned, and with it, they're bringing something that nobody could see coming. Politics.